All right, good morning. My name is Ramon Belagamba. I reside in Northwest Parish, and I will be doing this morning's scripture reading. Um, be reading from Acts 10 in the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his households, give alms generously to the people, and pray continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air and there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at, up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation. For I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. The next day, he went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. 
But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I am too a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves, how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is, what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the, uncircum from the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to, re to remain for some days. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Good morning, I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church, and you can tell your pastor is back preaching today because you have a long scripture reading, right? It's just important that you guys kind of see the context of what was going on. It's important that you hear the story because 
I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think y'all sit around and read Acts a lot. So it was good to kind of get an idea of what's going on instead of me just kind of plucking a few scriptures out of a narrative. This is a story, and it's important that we see the whole story as we dig in. Um, We are going to continue in this sermon series, a sermon series that I preached eight, nine years ago um, called The New South Revolution. And once again, when I say New South, I mean New South as the place that Charlotte has become, the place that it will become, as you are called by God, the believers here, to bring revolution to it, redemption to it, and be a transforming community in it. Well, today's scripture takes us to the first century A.D., and Christianity is young and has just been born in the diverse world of Roman Greco culture, having now that culture come to the Middle East. And so Christianity, primarily Jewish at this point, uh, finds itself in somewhat of an identity crisis. Will it keep being a Jewish Christianity or will it give in to the larger Gentile culture with its big city, corporate, liberal, sophisticated, powerful, northern intellectual come south to lowly Judea to exploit its low overhead and promise of urban development. It's typical. If we were to take the time then and put it now, it's, a, it's typical New South dynamics, much like we experience here in cities like our very own Charlotte, where a new dialogue and discussion and, and search for identity is necessary because we have been opened up to the, due to the crash of culture and race and identity and ethnicity and history and heritage. Back then, like us today, those first century believers had to wonder how the gospel, the message of Christ would handle the constant addition of people to the church, the constant addition of people to the world the church found itself in with those who were so very different from them and even each other. They ask questions, I'm sure, like we do. That if I'm not in the church, if I'm not a part of this faith, if I am a lot different from the religious church-going people I know, how does the gospel truly make room for me or for those who are so different than we are? Our Bible reading today tells us the story of two men who were called by God to have a crash of culture, a crash of godly relationship that would change how believers in the church would understand the gospel for all times. First, there was Cornelius. And yes, I'm going to go through the story again. It was a little long. First, there was Cornelius, right? A God-fearing Gentile. That God-fearing distinction means that he was a non-Jew who believed in the God of the Jews, the God of the Bible, but ethnically and socially could never be a Jew. He was an uncircumcised Italian who most likely did not follow all of the intricate dietary and worship laws of the Jews. Cornelius as a high-ranking Roman official, was part of the elite executive military officer class that had infiltrated the Jewish South. 
And the Bible tells us that an angel visits Cornelius one day, and you would think that the angel showing up was revolutionary enough, but the request was much more amazing than that. He was to go get a Jew by the name of Peter and bring him to his house. Well, a little after Cornelius had his vision, cross town in Joppa, Peter was doing his three-in-the-afternoon prayer time. Such a devout man of God, right? And the Bible says he got hungry. Y'all ever prayed so long you got hungry? No. Okay. Prayer time's over when you get hungry, right? The Bible says he got hungry and has a vision of a tablecloth. Let's just call it that. With some food on it. And from first appearance to me and you, this was like uh, the diamond or Midwood Smokehouse's menu, right? But to a devout Jew, these blue plate specials of the day were against the holy dietary laws Jews followed from the Old Testament. And for the heavenly voice, right? Some of you in your Bible, they're red letters. So we're assuming it's the Lord talking. But this heavenly voice, he was hearing for that heavenly voice to tell him to kill the food. Oh, yeah, did I mention the food was still alive, walking around? Could you imagine going to a restaurant and they said, here in this pan is your pig, right? We're going to get the ribs. Which one you want? But this voice comes and says, kill, butcher, eat the animals with split hoofs or on the shelf or in the shell, rather, or certain poultry. This sheet of oinking pigs and squawking owls and jumping shrimp were off limits to a devout Jew, and Peter wasn't falling for it at first. So the Bible says that after the vision thing happened, happened three times, that even after the third time and even calling the voice Lord, he was still perplexed that what was always unclean for a Jew to eat would be okayed by a heavenly public service alert, right? And while he was still reeling from the vision he just had, to add more confusion to an already weird prayer time gone sideways, I wonder if Peter going up on the roof wasn't hot that day. You know, if you get hot and hungry, you might hear a voice. (laughs) Well, the Bible says, to clear it up, the Spirit of God tells Peter that some Gentile dudes are here to pick you up, to take you to meet a non-Jew named Cornelius. It was too late to head back that day, so they stayed over, and and they head to Cornelius' house the next morning. And the Bible says that when Peter enters Cornelius' house, that he had invited all kinds of guests to meet him. It was a party. And that Cornelius gets so happy that he bows down at Peter's feet. And Peter tells Cornelius, I am just a man. Get up off your feet. I am, um, Get up off your knees. I am not comfortable being bowed to. In fact, let me just make clear, I am not comfortable with any of this Jew and Gentile together thing right now. I just know God told me to come. What is going on? In that moment of confusion... That moment of social chaos, out of that crash, God was defining the scope and power and reach of the good news for all times. God was declaring that we would have a gospel that now calls us into the crash of being his people, being his church, being his diverse community of faith. This gospel-induced crash between Peter and Cornelius shows us three things I want us to focus on. There's a lot here, but there's three I'm picking out today. First, 
that no one's good works are better than anyone else's. Secondly, no one's good works are good enough to be righteous enough. And finally, Jesus' righteousness is the only hope for everyone's brokenness. The comparisons between the two men are, is awesome here, isn't it? Let's check them off, right? They are both, the Bible describes, they're both prayerful. They're both committed to God. They're both obedient in their own way. Peter obeys the ceremonial Jewish law. He's a good Jew. Cornelius, though probably not obeying that ceremonial Jewish law stuff, is still fluent in the law of love, and the Jews recognize that. Peter, he secures and guards his faith wherever he goes. He prays even as a guest at someone else's house in the hottest part of the day, right? Nothing can take away his love for God. He's committed. He does it on the rooftops, all out with unashamed openness. Religiously, this dude is doing it. And Cornelius, though, by description, has shared his love for God with others and bold in his love for God with others, right? In a world and job situation in Roman Greco times where his belief would have been counterculture. He stood for what he believed. And then the Bible tells us that his whole household joins him in the respect and adoration for a God that was not a part of their original heritage or history. What does this tell us and teach us? What is the message of the gospel saying in their descriptions as we look at this story from the perspective of Scripture? That no one's good works and religion as they are truly good. I'm not trying to say there's something bad that isn't good. They are truly good, right? Godly and religious stuff. No one's is better than anyone else's. Do you see that? God spoke to and visited both men with a message sent by him in a vision. Contrary to what Peter thought and what Cornelius might have experienced, no one was better in the holy eyes of God than anyone else. In fact, look at what the heavenly voice tells Peter in verse 15. It's his here, and the voice came to him a second time. And this is after he sees all this unholy, unclean, common food. What God has made clean, do not call Common. In other words, we're going to pull this sentence apart. In other words, if the unclean or common are made and declared clean by God alone, then their good works and their good religiosity, right, were no better than the other in and of itself in making them righteous before the Lord. Again, I am talking about true good here. True good is only good, right? It's not any better rather than anyone else's in the eyes of God. All are common. And that message of the gospel is re-emphasized when Cornelius meets Peter with a bow, not kosher, to bow to a Jew, right? They know that that borders on idolatry, but, but to Cornelius, maybe it was a Gentile way of showing honor. We'll get back to that in a minute. But look at what Peter says to him in verse 26. Don't know whether he meant to say it, but listen to what he says. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up. I too am a man. 
And Peter eventually pulls it all together. And he says this in verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. When the Bible says Peter opened his mouth, just so y'all know, that is the same thing as saying, here comes that raw gospel truth. Peter's not hanging out at the party like some of us do and talk about who's the greatest of all time in football and basketball or whether it's LeBron or Steph and all that kind of stuff and what kind of happened at the trade time. It is the gospel. And he says what we all need to know, that once again, no one's good is better than anyone else's before the Lord. Peter's devotion, surprise to the Jews, was not better than Cornelius's in the eyes of the Lord. Cornelius is liberal, kind of feed the poor and be kind to everyone ways. Look how he invited all his friends to the party to meet Peter. Obviously, one of these populous, joyful, everyone is cool with me kind of person did not make him better than an obviously more conservative Peter who would only hang out with his own. He even makes clear that is where he stands. Look at verse 27 here. So he's at this party. He knows the Lord told him to be there, but what does he say anyway? And he talked with him. The Bible says, and as he talked with him, he went and found many people, persons gathered. So he looks around the room. He sees a bunch of Gentiles in there. And listen to what he says. He said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Now, he, he has the butt in there, but God has shown me something different. But why did he have to say that, right? Peter, though God is bringing something new in his understanding of the gospel, we'll get to. He still is someone who stands for and is going to let you know, I stand for rules and laws and traditional values and honor for God and nation. If this isn't a picture of the church today, Right? Especially the church universal. I'm going to say of our church right here at Christ Central Church. I don't know what it is. We are on the left. We're on the right. We're liberal and conservative. Some of us are more free in what we believe we can and can't do or should or shouldn't do. Right? And, and, and even have different takes on why we should or shouldn't and can or can't and what's, can't, what's good in our can or can'ts. Right? And here's the thing. As we express and live out our love for God in good and different ways, no one truly has a clear advantage of goodness according to what the gospel teaches us about true righteousness before God. And I brought it in the light a little bit last week during our Lord's Supper about the way we believers even come off and treat each other on social media. Over politics, over public policy, over who's president, about how the president's acting. You know what? It's almost like we come off and treat each other on, like, like our righteousness before God is at stake on what we consider good and on our good works, and it isn't. Let me break it down. No one's politics, religious practices in and of themselves, right? Ethnicity, traditions, cultures, gender, food, music, worship style, when it's done before the, for the good before God, I say this because it is apparent, it is apparent that the things Cornelius and Peter did were good, Right? It wasn't bad and evil, but that real good before God is no, we're no better than anyone else's or, or the others. Which immediately takes us to the next obvious gospel reality. 
No one's good works is good enough. Well, good works rather are good enough to be righteous before God. They are equally broken and messy and miss the mark. I don't know whether it's clear to you by now, but the devout, both devout and visited by God men, Gentile on one side, Jew on the other, are misinformed and missing it somewhere in all of their good devotion and religion. If they weren't, God would not have to have called them and bring, them, bring each of them out, right? Look at God's message to both. Look, look at verse 3 and 4 first with Cornelius. It says here, and it talks about how, devote, how devoted he is. It says, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. And then look at verse 12 with, with Peter's situation. It says in, in it were all kinds of animals that, that, you know, tablecloth that came down or the menu, right, offering of that day. In, all, in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, right? Lord, this ain't right, God. That sounds kind of weird, don't it? Hey, God, I think you might be wrong here, right? Okay. Um, oh, did, is this God, right? Hello? Um, so, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And that voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common, right? This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, here come the men from Cornelius. It's clear that in all their goodness, all their religious expressions of faith, they were missing something. How can I say it? Their good was as we've already described, it was not good enough. It wasn't complete. It was not all there. It wasn't right. They didn't see or know all of what God was and had not experienced the better and best God had to show them. They were missing the mark somehow, somewhere in their goodness, and their goodness couldn't get them there, right? They, a good man and a good Jew, were equally blind and lost in some way, a significant way in understanding the gospel. I love this double blindness going on here when they meet. Look again at verse 25, the situation. Just, just imagine if you had this kind of party going on. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Awkward, right? And Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up, I am a man too. And as he talked, remember this verse again with him? He went in and found many persons gathered. What in the world? You got all these people here? You about to get embarrassed. I'm a Jew. You a Gentile. I'm about to tell you off. I'm sure that's what God wants me to tell you. Y'all wrong. You're evil. You need to cross over. You need to get circumcised. You need to do it right. I'm sure that's what he's thinking. You yourselves know, he says, how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Objection. Then he says this. I asked then why you sent for me, right? Cornelius again starts worshiping Peter. Peter gets uncomfortable, defensive, and guards up. And Peter is like, why am I here? I'm missing something. 
In fact, in verse 17, it says, even after the vision three times, he was still perplexed. He did not in all his understanding of the Bible. Peter, this, you know, some people call the cornerstone of the church. All his Bible reading, all his three o'clock in the prayer, you know, three o'clock, so long praying, you get tired, hungry, sick, and start seeing visions, prayer, didn't get, he didn't get what God was saying or doing. And Cornelius is like, if I'm not here to worship you, then uh, all I know is God sent you and you have something to say and we're all waiting. I love that. They all lost. And they didn't know it until they got in the room together. With their righteousness, one righteous over here, one righteous over here. And it's sort of like, wow, we missing a big piece. Lord, could you put the big piece in the room? Like there is a bridge we need. It ain't here. It's supposed to be a bridge. We don't know what it is. There is a big gap in our faith. Now, now don't get lost here. Not in necessarily the reconciliation between me and you. There is a big hole in our theology that this meeting is showing. You know what the Bible says in another book of the New Testament? I love this part. It says in, in Romans, it says, what then? And it asks these questions, and this is the Apostle Paul, another Jew, uh, writing, are we Jews any better off than the Gentiles, basically? And it says, no, not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks, Greeks, another way of saying Gentiles, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. Oh, no, you just called a Jew not righteous in the same sentence as a Gentile. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. We all confuse in our righteousness. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. No one can be good enough to not be equally lost and sinful and guilty before God and all their righteousness. You can't knit together enough good works to, to bridge that gap in understanding the gospel and really being made righteous by God. You don't have the materials in your good works uh, resource bank to do it. I could give you this Bible. I could show you all the laws of the Old Testament. And I mean, some of you really disciplined ones too, right? You wouldn't have it in you to actually come up with it on your own. There will still be holes in your resolve. There will still be mess in your righteousness. It will not be complete. You will never be good enough. Apparently, when we did our midweek on politics and the gospel... We had that lime and peach candidate exercise. Some of y'all remember that? Where I asked folk to put scriptures with their stereotypically left or right candidate in the presence of others who differed from them. What a glorious crash and mess. Because we all kind of left knowing that there was some good and some missing and some bad everywhere. But no one, I loved it. Here was the point. No one could be completely righteous. Standing with their candidate or party. 
They needed more than just the righteous traditional decision or the righteous let's change the world decision. You needed something more. There's something missing in humanity in all its goodness. In the crash, in the eclectic community, crash of what Peter and Cornelius experienced, everyone's sense of personal and moral worth gets dented and devastated beyond their repair. When we talk about eclectic community as one of our vision items or diversity at Christ Central, this is not a social experiment, hopefully, where we think or try to make our church better than others by being diverse. We're diverse, like, right? We want the T-shirt for it, right? Or, 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 or your faith or morality, that our faith or morality is better than the all-white church or the all-black church or the all-Asian or Hispanic church because we got everybody. We better no. If we do that, we, we become wrong again in our righteousness. If, if we think that being a multi-ethnic church, blah, 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 with all of this going on, and that becomes our sense of righteousness, then we don't really get the gospel that made us and calls us to the diversity that we brag about. Right? This, this, this is like God did back then. God is orchestrating. I believe in a life of Christ Central, having planted this church 13 years ago, right? God has been orchestrating a crash of goodness and sin and crash of personal standards and personal short-sightedness, a crash of ideologies and insecurities and securities and confidences and fears, a crash that God has orchestrated, not for fun or to be cool or socially sadistic and mean, but like he graciously did did for Peter and Cornelius and then the whole church after them, God is opening our hearts and eyes to the glory and power and love of the gospel that they both would have missed if God didn't go to work. Their goodness would not have gotten them there. In their prejudice in their own sense of goodness and righteousness would not have only kept them apart from each other, but would have limited the love and grace they experience through God. I want you to see this and get this real clear. When God came with a vision to each of these devout men in their own way, blind in their own way, one guy, a people-pleasing people worshiper, Cornelius, he's the guy, he's the life of the party. I like Cornelius, right? He loves everybody. He's making everybody happy. And then the other, more on the, you know, if I were to stereotype Peter, maybe I shouldn't, but I am. He's more of the self-righteous, you know, strong guy, right? It was not an outflow of their goodness that got them this vision, this vision from God that they got was an interruption, y'all. <laughs> Though a vision, it was a rude awakening to the fantasy of their goodness. God crashed their lives with grace. And look what came out. Back to this phrase in verse 34. Let's look at it together, 34. So Peter's like, what am I doing here, y'all? This, this, this ain't kosher. <laughs> this ain't right. God must be up to something from that vision. So Peter opened his mouth and said, 
right? Truly understand that God shows no partiality. He goes on to preach. When the Bible talks about somebody opening their mouth, right? It's not like Peter, oh, let me go back and study and then figure this out and then I'm going to preach the gospel, right? This is something supernatural, y'all. And I want you to recognize this. It was like Peter burped out the truth somehow. You know, like it just came out or, or got bumped in the wrong way and, or right way in this case and vomited out the truth. Like he opened his mouth and out came the Holy Spirit's words. Because Peter is still confused about why he's, exactly, why he's there exactly. And Cornelius is like, you tell us. And the Bible says he opened his mouth and the Holy Spirit, God's words, fell out. It flowed out of Peter's mouth. Understand Peter uh, and, and the guys with him probably didn't think it would work. In fact, he probably thought it was a waste, a casting of his pearl before the metaphorical Gentile swines and preaching to these unchosen, common, and unclean people. But it came from God through him, the gospel. Look at what, not what he says, but what pours out of him. Verse 34 again, so Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable for him. And then he goes on and explains the story of the gospel. Talked about how Jesus died on the cross and our forgiveness comes through him. I was sharing the simplest form of the gospel I know to give with somebody the other day, and this is how I learned it a long time ago. This one phrase, and you can break it down a number of ways, man. This is what I start with. Like if I have to preach a sermon, I just start with this little phrase and then try to work off of it, right? It's like the bone, right? The, 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 the blueprint piece, right? We are sinners, and Jesus is a savior of sinners. That's it. You can remember that. What's the gospel? We are sinners and Jesus is the Savior of sinners. What? That we, humankind, all before God, no one is special, but all are not good enough and all are bad enough for God to have to have sent his son to make their good, righteous, and their bad and broken, redeemed and forgiven and covered by his grace through the blood of Jesus. That is the gospel. And as Peter was preaching, the Bible says this happened beginning at verse 44. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and the believers from among the circumcised, those are the people who came from Joppa with Peter, right? The Jews who was with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Peter and those with him were surprised. Their religiosity had blinded them, and God opened the gospel up to them, and this happening. The Holy Spirit coming on Cornelius and his Gentile guests like it did on the Jews as the Jews preached meant that it wasn't being a Jew or a devout Jew or a standard keeper or praying three times a day at the right time of day or trying to get and keep your blessing and living apart and above those kind of people. 
It isn't about on the other side being loving to all people or being generous or being the life of the party, right? Or accepting everybody. Though all good stuff, but it is all through God's gracious love and choice of who he wanted to make clean by grace through the gospel, through the message, through the way of salvation, through Jesus, that people become and are made and stand secure and stay God's people. The Gentiles' evil and uncleanliness did not stop God from calling them his. Jesus had overcome even that to draw them to himself. But that would also mean the flip side of that. Jews are saved by grace and not works and not their heritage and not their personal righteousness either. It's all about faith and what Jesus did. I don't care how holy you think you are and have gotten or unholy you think you are. Righteousness through Christ is by faith in him alone and nothing else. Now, what that means is the gospel is not only the power for salvation to everyone and anyone who believe, but now is the power to make community. Oh, we take it a step further. It's one thing to say, I got saved. Woo, even me, I'm the worst of the worst, and I got saved. Yeah, I'm the person who makes you uncomfortable. I got saved. And you're like, that's good, be saved over there, Right? When Peter says, wait a minute, what's stopping these folk from being baptized? Oh, my Lord. Baptism is a sign and seal. These people are in the community of faith that they can go to church with you. Okay, let's take it one step further. These Gentile people might end up being your elder. Oh, Lord. They might end up preaching like I am. Right? They're going to come in community. And this is what the gospel saying. It's the power, right? Regardless, that is, to, to make community out of all who have believed, regardless of race and political affiliation or prayer schedule or strong or broken history, regardless of your tradition or your gender or your intellect or how you handle or mishandle your money, whether you have a good or you have a bad marriage, whether you struggle with same or opposite sex attraction, whether you're struggling with porn or whether you're struggling with greed, right? All can be saved by faith in Jesus. And beyond that, get this, baptized as they believe in Jesus, Peter says and does, that means they all, all of us, have now come into and are the people of God of faith in community, an eclectic community of diverse lives and diverse struggles and diverse mess-ups and diverse blindness, but we have one hope and faith and righteousness in Jesus Christ. Not as a social experiment again or a cool thing churches do. But as a result of the gospel crashing lives together and crashing those lives first into, the God, into God unmerited favor and love for all types of people. You know what that means? Our issues, and we all got it. Okay? I know y'all. Because y'all like me. You're human, you're common. You're one of them things on the sheet, right? 
the issues of prejudice or prejudices that we all have. Some of us are extremely sexist, opinionated, politically divisions, divided, and feeling you are not good enough to be with, maybe some of you are feeling you are not good enough to be with these church people who seem to have it all together in this church. Look, I can tell you some stories. Ain't nobody in here. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. The ones sitting closest together are only maybe possibly sitting closest together because there was a time in their life thing wasn't right. I'm telling you, you don't know what people been through to even sit shoulder to shoulder in church. They might have had to go through it right this morning to even sit there. Maybe it's a spiritual discipline and exercise to sit there without cussing and being mad. I don't know. Actually, I do know. Oh, of course, because of what I've done. Right? I have to change. It's me. Shoot, I want to have a good weekend going into the 4th of July. I ain't going to mess that up. Some of you think you're too holy, too holy for us people. Look at them. They don't believe in good old-fashioned sanctification and holiness. Why do you do that to yourselves? Don't you know none of those things will and have to separate you or anyone else from the love of God and Jesus Christ offered in the gospel? Eclectic community is not a static word or, or just a vision. We are talking about the active move of God's people reaching people and being God's people around a liberating gospel that says no one is righteous, no, not one, but thank God by his grace as we believe in Jesus, we can live in freedom. You know what? Y'all are so, like me, uptight about things that don't make you righteous. This means you can actually enjoy the ways you seek to honor and live out your faith, whether you're right or left of the divide. Right? Some of y'all got guns at home. Some of y'all don't. Right? Enjoy it and take responsibility for what having and not having means, right? Okay, I'm going to stop there because we'll talk about some of this stuff later. I got some more ideas, but we're we going to keep going. Some of y'all got different things on the bookshelf. Some of y'all watch different TV shows, right? I thought Transformers, the latest one, was terrible. And I think if you thought it was good, something's wrong with you. You need to have culture. <laughs> Let's go with something funny, okay? You know what? You can actually relax in that stuff because it is not the thing holding you or keeping you in the faith or keeping you faithful. Do you know that? Your religious piety, your righteous stand in and on this world, your, your protecting this value or not is not the thing holding you in or making you acceptable and made you righteous before God. It is the Lord's unmerited love and desire to simply have you holding you just like you are and making you righteous and in. As the old-timey Christian song says, he's got, therefore, the whole world in his hands. That includes you and me, brother, you and me, sister, in his hands. See, the gospel tells us like it was shown and spoken to them that day. Jesus became the best and the worst 
of what we couldn't be or were before God so that Jesus' righteousness alone becomes the only thing we have for all of our brokenness. There's your unity in diversity. And the truth crashes and it breaks down all barriers between us and God and us and each other. And now God's love is free to flow between us and up to him. It's my prayer and hope that the gospel and God's people transformed by the gospel would crash your party. Your religious party. Maybe your pity party. Maybe your political party. Maybe your broken party. And that you and that Jesus and Christ alone would not only crash your party, but become the life of your party. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for how that like simple sort of gospel stuff can deal with a complexity, all kind of complex situations and perplexing situations in your church among your people. Continue to work in us what is pleasing to you, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we would open our mouths or open our laptops, <laughs> open up our search engines, open up our social media, I pray that the same thing would happen to us that happened to Peter, that we would open up and out would come the Spirit's words. Or the move of the Spirit on our hearts to not find righteousness in anything else ultimately than Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.